Hello. Okay. Sorry, that was... Oh, no, no. Hello. Okay. Was just, uh... Buying some time with various hellos. Uh, while I got comfy in my seat. Uh, but I'm feeling good, you know. Uh... Did some hellos to start the show. Better than a burp, uh, I guess. So we're trending upwards here in 2024 in terms of, uh, you know, tastefulness of openings for PH5, which is a, a good thing, I think. Welcome to episode two of season four of PIF. F five, five, PH5. Um, you guys good? I'm doing pretty okay. You know, it's Sunday uh, now just afternoon. Had some eggs. Uh, they were pretty good. Got a little cup of tea right here in front of me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be dousing myself in coffee and caffeine like I was last episode because uh, I feel like I was pretty zooted last time around and just kind of speaking at a mile a minute. So I'm going to be speaking at uh, like maybe like a half mile a minute uh, today just to kind of, you know, keep things a little bit more cool and calm and, and subdued. Uh, you know, perfect, perfect for a March, beginning of March kind of listen, you know, just, you know, like tentative, cautious optimism towards a... Uh, you know, like, uh, like spring and, uh, you know, whatever. It's been weirdly warm, I'd say, uh, which is concerning on a fundamental level, but, uh, very pleasing on a surface level. So I guess you take what you can get. Um, yeah. So, okay. I just kind of want to start today's episode off with a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, January, as we know was a, a pretty great month in terms of new music releases had lots to talk about um lots of great shit came out and uh, it was it was a it was a good time really started the year off on a ba 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 bang but uh february kind of took its foot off the pedal a little bit and um was i'd say significantly weaker and because of that uh I had to kind of dig a little bit deeper to find things that I, I really enjoyed and, and thought were worthy of actually talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, the caveat for this episode is going to be that I'm, I'm maybe going to be going a little bit more uh, esoteric with my picks this time around, so uh, if there's, you know, any of you out there who like, feel weirdly obligated to be tuning into the show, uh, this is me giving you a free pass to skip this episode <laughs> if you would like, um, I mean, I, I, I like the things that I'm gonna talk about, it would be silly for me to, you know, pretend to like things just for the sake of this show that, like, maybe four or five people actually listen to. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I, I genuinely, generally try to, you know, keep a wide cast net of the music that I'm listening to and, you know, talking about when it comes to this show, 
You know, I, I, you know, I always talk about my more niche things that I really love, but I, you know, I try to bring in other things as well so that, you know, people that aren't into, you know, harsh noise core still have things to kind of catch on to and enjoy when they're, uh, listening to the episodes. Um, maybe not so much of the case this time around. So again, you know, stick around by all means, please, you know. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're gonna go into some kind of deep, dark places in this one, so if you, uh, you don't really want to go there, listen, you know what, it's totally fine. Here's your free pass to just, uh, not bother this time around. <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty brutal way to kind of start the episode. I'm basically saying, like, you know, don't listen to this one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, listen, we all have these busy lives, we have a lot going on, um, if you're the kind of person that listens to podcasts, hey, I mean, I'm sure you've got dozens of other ones to catch up on, so, you know, if, if, uh, if you want, go ahead and listen to one of those other ones instead, alright? <laughs> okay, I mean, you're welcome. You know, like, I just gave you an hour of your time back. You can do with it as you please. Um, but regardless, I'm gonna go ahead and, and uh, start talking about these albums now. And, and again, it's not to say that these albums aren't good or worthy of discussion. Let's put it this way. In a, in a guy who is completely uh, basketball-pilled... Uh, I would describe it as like this episode is is uh, kind of like the the current Brooklyn Nets of episodes. Um, you know, they're a team full of role players without any any true stars. I mean, they've got some some of the best role players in the league on there, but you know, uh, a lot of kind of maybe forgettable dudes that would flourish in another system or you know, be sitting on the bench in another team, uh, just in a way that maybe a few of the albums I'm going to talk about wouldn't be discussed if they were released in a stronger month, um, but you know what, the nature of the show is what it is, and, uh, we're still going to have a good time, so, you know, uh, stick around, I'm also going to be kind of doing a little recap, We'll do it kind of at the midway point, I'm thinking, of some of the shows that I went to in February, because I went to three concerts, and um, they were great, and I'd love to kind of just touch on those quickly while I'm here. So, let's, uh, yeah, now that I've scared you away from caring about the episode, uh, let's start with the episode. So, PH5... February, Feb, oh, hmm, Feb, are you a February kind of person? Like, do you just completely ignore the way that it's really meant to be pronounced? Or, or are you like a, like a a February truther, you know, and you, you really, you really try to get that R in where you can. Oh, I'm watching a guy, he's running, looks like he really has to pee, and, oh yeah, there he goes, he just, uh, whipped out his penis and is now um, peeing within eyesight of me, so I'm just gonna watch that for a minute, you know? Hey, you gotta go when you gotta go, I guess. 
this is happening outside. It's not happening currently in my apartment. There's not some random guy running around my apartment uh, and, and urinating on the floor inside the apartment. This is uh, currently outside. So, PH5, February 2024. Let's get into it. Okay, so number five for Feb, uh, we have Liquid Mike with the album Paul Bunyan's Slingshot. So Liquid Mike, just just like uh, just like this group of dudes. Uh, maybe there's a guy in the band named Mike. Maybe there's a guy in the band named Liquid. I don't know. Um, group of dudes in some small town and state somewhere just making rock music <laughs> you know it's a tale as old as time itself um but what's kind of interesting and and, and why i like this album and, and wanted to talk about it this week is that it, it it's kind of an album that a band from last year i had kind of hoped they would release so if you recall, uh, you probably don't, but one of my uh, dishonorable mentions from 2023 was uh, the Taking Meds record, uh, Dial M for Meds, and that was a band who, back in, I believe, 2021? 2021, um, late 2021, had released... Uh, what is it? Terrible news from wonderful men or something like this. Really, like, kind of came out of nowhere, out of surprise, and uh, was one of my favorite records of the year. It was just a, an album that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, kind of like a straightforward, kind of punchy, punky, heavy alt-rock album that just had hooks for days and big choruses and a lot of personality in it. And, uh... I really liked it. It, it was uh, one of my favorites of the year for sure. Something I will still go back to from time to time. And they had their follow-up last year. And it, it just kind of took everything that was great about that other record and just toned it all the way down. And you were left with this very kind of boring personality list. Like, sure, the songwriting was, was pretty good. Um, you know, good hooks, blah, blah, blah. But it was also very obvious sounding and um, just just kind of boring. It was really disappointing to me. So this Liquid Mike record is in a lot of ways kind of the album that I wish Taking Meds had kind of followed up with. Because um, I think you can go in a in a more, you know, quote-unquote commercial accessible direction without necessarily losing that kind of key personality piece that that separates you from you know other people like okay songwriting is a gift for sure you know and being able to write a good hook and a good chorus is uh it's not something that everyone can do um you know it's not something that most people can do really but the fact of the matter is is there's like billions of people on the planet <clears throat> so just looking at the odds like you know, there's probably like a few million great songwriters out there. So how do you then distinguish yourself from all these great songwriters? And 
this is where I think personality really comes into play. And uh, being able to showcase that personality through your music. And again, why I really like that uh, other Taking Meds record was it was full of personality. Like, you kind of really got the sense of who uh, the singer of the band was. You know, he was kind of like this uh, witty asshole who, you know, you, you would probably be friends with, but still kind of hate his guts. But, you know, you got a real sense of who he was as a person. Whereas he, he sounded a lot more anonymous and kind of just like another guy on uh, that follow-up record. Um, Liquid Mike is a record that has great alt-rock hooks, um, nice crunchy production, um, but it has that kind of personality that really makes it stand out and, and, and makes you kind of go back to it and, and kind of hooks you in, you know? like. The hooks themselves are a hook, but the the personality of the the, the songwriting and, and the way that you know they're singing and you know the production choices that in itself is is also a hook and something that is interesting and, and makes you want to kind of go back to the music because it makes it more it's easier to connect to something when it feels like it's actually coming from another person with you know. You know, multitudes, you know, like it's it's coming from another onion, you know, like like Shrek's onion. Um, so this is a, an album of, uh, of, of onions, whereas, you know, what really disappointed me about that Taking Meds record was that uh, it was like an apple, you know, it was it was a, you know, kind of sweet, uh, you know, crunchy, but nothing more to it, you know, no layers. Um, Whereas this is uh, this album, you know, it, it has these layers and it it's a bit bitter at times. Uh, I don't know the onion metaphor. I didn't really think through, um, and I'm realizing now it has a lot of limitations to it. Uh, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. So, um, do I love this Liquid Mike record? No. Uh, is this a record that I would talk about on a month that was even a little bit stronger? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It's, it's, it's I, I, I <laughs> this is hypothetical. I can't, I can't tell you that. I don't know, but uh, probably not, realistically speaking. But you know, for what it was, I, I enjoyed it. It's something that, yeah, I'll go back to every now and then if I'm in the mood for, you know, just some good, solid rock music. Like this kind of hits the, hits the, hits the spot for me. Scratches that itch. And, uh, you know, maybe it will for you as well. So, coming in at number five for Feb 2024, we have Liquid Mike, Paul Bunyan's Slingshot. Paul Bunyan's that, like, giant guy, right? So, uh, pretty big slingshot. (laughs) That's, That's all I gotta say about that one. Okay, so number four, and number four is also like, like I want to call this like, like I want to give it like the honorable mention as well as number four because, uh, well, let me let me get into it. Let me try to explain why, what, I, what I'm trying to get on with here. So the album is Moon Healer by Job from a Cowboy. 
So I don't know if any of you were alive in early 2000s. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who my audience is, clearly. I don't know. Like, are there, are there 10-year-olds listening to PH5? That's awesome. Uh, fuck your parents. Listen to PH... No, like, don't literally... Like, I'm trying to say, like, yeah, fuck you to your parents. Uh, listen to PH5. It's the big rebellious move that kids are doing. Um, but don't actually, like, you know, verb... Fuck your parents. Um... Uh, this this went off the rails. Uh, so let me start over. Job from a cowboy came onto the scene um, back in the, the when the MySpace era of heavy music was kind of the definitive thing. Um, and they were one of those bands that like the most annoying people you knew really liked. Uh, apologies to anyone out there listening who liked them back then but you were probably pretty annoying like let's be honest they were kind of the pioneers of like the the myspace deathcore thing which was a like a pretty stupid genre um and yeah again like all the most annoying you know quote-unquote scene people they just loved this shit they ate it up um yeah, but like, you know, like not to be a dick, but like critically speaking, not not a great band, not really making good music, and just kind of one of these maligned bands that spurred a bunch of even worse imitators that just kind of really clogged the scene up and, you know, gave it kind of the bad reputation that it had. Uh, now, that being said, they kind of came on the scene um, really defined this kind of shitty genre and slowly over the years kind of worked away from it. Um, even their follow-up to that initial uh, Doom, that's the name of the record, it's not a Doom genre record, uh, kind of saw them moving away from it and exploring something different. And throughout the kind of late 2000s and 2010s, their records got increasingly pushed away from that kind of deathcore sound and started to really bring in elements of death metal and, and they kind of became almost like a straight up death metal band by the time um, Sun Eater came out about five or six years ago. And uh, it was really refreshing, you know, it's like, okay, so this band of dudes making shitty music, like, they can evolve and they can move on from, you know, this kind of terrible label that they once had. And, uh, you know, Sun Eater is a actually pretty solid record. And now here they are today, you know, however many years later, with their follow-up Moon Healer. And this is like a, a straight-up, um, like, progressive death metal album. Any and all elements of uh, that kind of annoying scene that they helped birth way back in the day are, are, are gone now entirely. And, um... That's reflected in a lot of ways in the cover art. The cover art for this album is amazing, by the way. It's, like, so cool. It's so ridiculous and over the top, but it's fucking badass. Um, but on all their records, their very first record, they had this kind of iconic, like, ram horn guy. And that guy's been featured uh, on all their album covers up until this point, but to a lesser degree. So it's almost as though, like... 
they're literally changing their visual identity at this point to match their musical identity. And this, this you know, latest record completes that transformation of that, you know, shitty MySpace deathcore band to an actually really interesting death metal band. And that's what you get with this record. Um, just some extremely solid kind of progressive death metal that uh, hits hard and has some, you know, fantastic riffs and solos and, you know, great production. Um, and what I actually really like about it, kind of on the note of personality, uh, the one kind of element that they've kept from their early days was uh, is the, the vocalist's kind of vocal stylings and the way that uh, he injects a lot of personality into, you know, what is... It's kind of a hard genre to have a lot of personality with in terms of vocals. Like, death metal is pretty straightforward. Like, you know, what do they call it? Like, cookie monster growls. Um, you know, that's just par for the course for the genre. But uh, the way that this guy does his cookie monster kind of thing is uh, it's kind of interesting and, and fun. And you can tell that he's having a lot of fun in the booth and, and having a lot of fun with... Uh, you know, doing these different types of screams and, and, and whatnot, like, it, it is still very much, you know, your death metal screams and, and grunts and shrieks and all this kind of stuff, but uh, it's fun. It, it, it's different. It's not monotonous. Uh, you know, he enunciates his words. You can almost actually follow along with the lyrics, which is, uh, you know, wild to think about, because... That's just never a thing in this kind of genre. Um, and it makes it for a, a much more interesting listen than kind of your standard run-of-the-mill death metal album. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great record. Uh, it's definitely a grower. The more I listen to it, the more I kind of find things in it that I, I really enjoy. Uh, but I think what makes it special is just seeing how this band has progressed over the past fuck, almost two decades, going from, like, again, really annoying music that, you know, all the assholes that you hated like, um, I'm telling you, none of those people would like this album, this is like a completely different band, um, and I hate to say it, but it, it's, it's tasteful, you know, it's like, <laughs> like it's it's like ob objectively the music is, is great for what it is that they're making and uh there's no way you could have ever said that about them way back in the day so kudos to you guys you know like you love to see a band progress and and you love to see uh that progression actually work for them and and, and end up in a really solid record so coming in at number four we have Moon Healer by Job from a Cowboy. And seriously, even if you have no intention of ever listening to this record, uh, just like quickly Google the album cover because it's fucking dope. Okay, uh, so number three, we have... 
the album Shame by Meth. <laughs> yeah, like the, the 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 drug meth. Not a not me trying to say mess with a lisp. Um So my my discussion of this record is in a lot of ways gonna tie into uh my you know kind of quick recap of some of the concerts that I went to this month because I actually I did see meth um at the beginning of February. Would have been my second time seeing them. Um, saw them initially back in, I think October of last year, uh, when they were opening for uh, Usurp Synapse. And that was a great show. And Meth, they stole the show that time around easily. Um, and that's where I really kind of got initially interested in them uh, because their live show was just outstanding and uh kind of blew the socks off everyone there um so they make like a really really kind of noisy chaotic version of screamo um but what, what i find really interesting is that the live experience and the on record experience is is pretty different like they they almost sound like two completely different bands um, on record versus the live show, and um, sorry, just just I uh, got a quick text. I was looking at that, lost my train of thought. Ugh, I need to focus, you know. Airplane mode, Phil. What the fuck? So the live show of this band is is really focused around rhythm. Um, the, the drums and the bass are very kind of, you know, it's almost like groovy to an extent is how I would describe it. Like you can, you're listening to it and you know, it, it, it's very chaotic and you know, it's, it's a, it's a screamo show and, and a, not like a, like lighter side of screamo, but, um, like, like. The, the really, really kind of heavy, discordant side of Screamo. Um, but in a lot of ways, like, they're, they're... The way that they kind of sound and the way that the live experience goes, it reminds me almost of Daughters and what Daughters were doing um, in their kind of later career where the focus was really on the bass and the drums and, and kind of creating these grooves that you could move to when you're listening to the music and, and that was kind of the anchor of what you were listening to um oh the whole daughter's thing so breaks my heart because they were so amazing but uh that lead guy is a, a real fucking piece of shit so um yeah rest in peace to the ability of listening to daughters with a clear conscience which is something else that i'll actually be touching on later so <laughs> a lot of accidental tie-ins here this is fun, you know? There's some some sort of cohesion coming together in this episode. I love it, because I was worried that this was going to be a wash, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, I literally did start by basically saying, don't bother with this one. <laughs> uh, I'm not, now I think you should bother, but it's a bit too late. Uh, I've already said it. So, um, anyway. On record, uh, this band loses a lot of sense of that groove. Um, the the drums and the bass are, are buried quite, you know, low in the mix. 
and uh, you know the main focus is definitely just kind of the the noisy wash of guitars and you know the vocalists uh, really kind of gut-wrenching shrieks that permeate the record and it's still a really good record I, I think that this is a band that is really onto something special and when I did see them again in February again they weren't opening um, sorry they weren't like the headliners of the show um, they're actually only the second band on the bill of four bands but uh, they were the only band to actually get like like an encore like people begging for them to come back and play one more song um, as a second band in a four band bill like that's quite impressive um, but yeah like the power of the live show just hasn't quite translated onto the record yet um, again these are still some really fascinating heavy as fuck uh almost ambitious songs like some of these stretch out into the seven eight minute mark um and they're really happy and they really want to sorry they're not happy at all but like they're really content to make the listener kind of wait and be patient and the songs grow uh and you know often resulting in, in, in amazing payoffs but this band isn't about isn't about immediate gratification it's about um really like settling into the kind of the chaotic atmosphere of the song and and really just sitting with it and and you know letting it kind of sink into you uh which is really effective and, and great but again like if they can just find a way to transfer that grooviness of the live experience onto their actual recorded material, then they're onto something really, really special. That said, this is still a great, really cool record, um, and, and just something that's very promising. I think this is, they have potential to be one of the most unique and fascinating heavy music bands out there. Uh, just again, play up the groove, you know? I'm telling you, because that's, that's, again, you're, your personality, your your definitive feature that's going to separate you from your peers is is how you can settle into that, in that rhythm. Because um, no one else is kind of doing it quite like that right now. And uh, once they nail that aspect of their records, boom. I'm telling you. They're going to be one of the best. So, number three, we have Shame by Meth. Okay, let's settle into some Menchos. These are the Menchos. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, honorable mention for this month, we have the album 2093 by Yeet. Uh, so if you don't know who Yeet is by now, he is a, uh, newish rapper. Um, this is like his maybe third album or so, uh, in about as many years and kind of came up on the scene, um, as a kind of really weird bugged out version of Travis Scott, um, really playing more into the experimental side of, uh, this kind of version of hip hop, 
uh, where Travis obviously leans a lot more commercial and mainstream. Um, what I like about Yeet is that uh, there, there's not a lot of compromise in his music. Like, yeah, he's actually slowly becoming one of the most popular rappers on the planet. Um, you know, he had a, a feature on the last Drake album. Um, on this record, too, there's, there's a Lil Wayne feature, there's a Future feature. But you listen to the record and it's actually very strange. Um, not very, you know, uh, typical kind of mainstream hip-hop at all. Uh, a lot of this you could even argue, is this even hip-hop? I don't even know really what this kind of music is. and It's really interesting. Um, it's, it's like... Again, like, I, I hate to keep bringing up the Travis Scott kind of comparison because uh, it's not doing anyone any favors here. Uh, but it's like if Travis just really, really leaned all the way into the sonic weirdness that he does have a tendency to kind of hint at. But, you know, he's more in favor of laying out really bland, basic bars. Um... And just letting kind of the the, the weird futuristic production uh, be a component of his music instead of the whole thing. Yeet really is the production and the the, the the sonic weirdness is is the whole idea. It's the whole conceit of what he's doing. Um, and he hasn't really let up on that weirdness uh, at all. If anything, he's gone a little bit weirder. Like. Um, he released uh, this record, Afterlife, last year, which I enjoyed. Um, and 2093 this year, arguably even weirder and strange, stranger than last year's and the one before it. But just for context, like this debuted at number two on the Billboard charts, almost at number one, um, with stupid Kanye and Ty Dolla Sign's Vultures beating him out for number one. Um, so I'm saying a lot of good things about this record, so why why did it only end up in the honorable mention spot? Well, Yeet's problem, again, unfortunately, much like Travis Scott, is that this guy has absolutely nothing to say. Like, I'm telling you, uh, there is no substance in this record whatsoever. Like, on previous albums, he would really lean into kind of vocal manipulation, um... In almost an effort to kind of hide the fact that he d doesn't really have that much to say. Um, and I guess the one kind of aspect of this record that has him a little bit more commercial, a bit more mainstream, is he's a lot more clear on this album. His, his vocals haven't been manipulated as much as they have in the past. But that's almost a detriment to him because the fact that you can actually really pick out what he's saying now really makes you realize, like, this dude is not talking about a single goddamn thing, like, at all. Um, he's an okay rapper at best. Um, you know, a lot of his lines, like, honestly don't even really end up rhyming. And he's just kind of, like, saying things, you know? Like, I, I, I couldn't tell you a single line from this whole record. I couldn't tell you what a single song is about in this whole record. I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, but... You know, he almost gets away with it because of how cool and strange 
and exciting the actual music and production is. Uh, but not quite. I mean, unfortunately, it, it gets a little bit hard to ignore at times, just how, uh, how nothing... <laughs> there's nothing substantial going on lyrically. Um, it, it's a bit of a problem. So I think this record is kind of the, the peak and pinnacle of as far as he can go with this sound without needing to add that extra kind of wrinkle of actual lyrical substance to this because if not, you know, like people are going to start catching on that, dude, there's nothing there's nothing going on here um, and it's going to start to kind of play against him. But it's a cool sounding record. I don't think I've ever really heard an album that sounds like this. It's It's almost like like, you know, like if a Travis Scott record had an Armand Hammer's kind of sonic sensibility. Like, it's it's that neat, um, like, sound-wise. But I'm telling you, the, the dismal, dismal lyricism here is, is a, it's a problem, and it needs to be addressed sooner rather than later. Anyway, if you kind of just ignore him... Um, you're in for a wild ride, um, and it's definitely worth just kind of experiencing the strange places that this record goes, because uh, it does sound like 2093, you know, what, what music could sound like that far in the future. Just that out there. So, honorable mention is Yeet 2093. The mention... Uh, I've already vaguely kind of touched upon. Um, I want to talk kind of really quickly. I don't want to get too far into it because it's a whole other discussion. Um, but I want to talk about Kanye West, Tyler Dolla Signs, Vultures One. The but I also want to talk about um, Chelsea Wolf and her new record. Uh, she reaches out to, she reaches, I don't know how many times it goes on, but she reaches out to, she reaches out to, she blah, 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 blah. So, the question that I, I, I kind of want to pose, posit, if you will, is when, when is too much too much? When, when, where do we draw the line as an audience of, like, what, what can an artist get away with that will still find it will still deem it acceptable to give their music a listen and, and, and where do we draw that line? So, so for, for let, let's get into this. So Kanye and Ty Dolla Sign's new record, uh, I haven't listened to. I, I have no desire to listen to it. Um, I've heard that it's actually, you know, one of the more focused of Kanye's later records, but I, I still have absolutely no desire to listen to it, and I feel morally opposed to listening to it because th this man has done so much damage, and he's such a morally reprehensible person. Um, you know, he's he's a proud anti-Semite, and uh, he's he's just a real, real, real piece of shit. And uh, to even give it a cursory listen out of curiosity is to add more streams to this project and is to give him 
more money and more attention. And, and I, I just refuse to do that. I'm not doing it. You know, he's he's that much of a shithole person that I, I just can't. I, I won't do it. Um, it. It's sad because I used to love Kanye West. You know, I, I remember, you know, over a decade ago at this point, like getting into fights with people defending him. And now I look back and I'm like, what the fuck was my problem? You know, like, and I've actually, <laughs> I've reached out to those people and I said, I'm sorry, you were right. I was wrong. Like, he sucks. There is no defending this man. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't care if this is like, you know, musically speaking, the best record of his career. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, like he's, it, you, it doesn't matter what he's done, the things that he said, and the influence that he has over people, um, the way that he can manipulate people to thinking the way that he does, is it, it, it's 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 gone too far, and I refuse to give any of my ears or attention other than you know talking about it right now on this podcast to slander him. Um, I'm not giving him any of that. So, fuck that. Now, why I wanted to bring in the Chelsea Wolf thing. Uh, so, I, I like Chelsea Wolf. I, you know, I, I've, I've never loved her music, but, you know, I'm, I'm always down to check for her with her new releases. I think she's got an interesting sound. Um, you know, the songs always need work, in my opinion, but uh, her kind of gothy industrialish metalish kind of vibe is a uh, it's pretty up my alley so you know I'm, I'm i'm always down to fuck with some new chelsea wolf music uh but i found out recently that um well i knew that her old label sergeant house maybe her current label too um had been accused the owner of sergeant house accused of basically harassment and abuse and uh a very bad look for the label because this was a label that housed a lot of absolutely fantastic artists and had some some of the best releases uh, of the 2000s and 2010s. Uh, so it was definitely heartbreaking to hear about this because you know I I, I don't want to be giving any attention or whatever to you know music that's being released by abusers. Um, because I'd, I'd, I'd want to support that shit. Um, and, and what I heard, unfortunately, was that Chelsea, who, you know, was on Sergeant House, uh, you know, stood by, uh, you know, the, the person that was accused and, you know, has remained in touch with them and remained close to them and kind of stands with them through all of this, which is really disappointing, you know? Like, enabling abusers is bad. And what Chelsea Wolf is doing with this by doing that is is, is is an objectively bad thing to do. Um but it wasn't bad enough for me to not listen to the music. You know? The record itself is fine. Like I, I, I liked it. You know, I didn't love it. Um it probably wouldn't have gotten any mention here if not for, you know, pertaining this topic. Uh but, you know, as I'm listening to it, I, I I just found myself asking the question, like, why is it okay for me to listen to this, but, you know, I, I feel like it's not okay for me to listen to Kanye's album, you know? 
Um, they're both problematic people uh, that have, you know, are, are doing bad things. Obviously, what Connie has done is much, much, much worse um, and on a much larger scale. But, you know, it, it's still shitty to stand by and support and enable an abuser. Um, but here I am, I'm listening to music anyway. So I, I don't have an answer to this question, really. It's it's just something that I've been reflecting on. And it's like, where do we draw these arbitrary lines, um, you know, mentally, morally, between what's okay, what, what art is okay for us to consume, even if the artist is, you know, not the best kind of person. You know, where do we draw that line? Um, I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. I, I apparently have drawn that line somewhere. Like, apparently I'm okay with uh, listening to music by someone who supports an abuser. But again, going back to the daughters thing, I can't listen to them anymore because I know what that front man did. I know what he, the terrible things he did, and uh, I, I can't listen to it. But I can listen to Chelsea Wolfe. So I don't know. It, it's, it's strange. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird how we kind of, you know, create these arbitrary distinctions in our minds of what is and what isn't okay and what we allow ourselves to get away with. Anyway, those are my thoughts, uh, and those will be the mentions. And lastly, the dishonorable mention, not going to spend too much time on this one, uh, but the album is... MKG and oh fuck what, what, what even is this stupid fucking album called like two star hold on give me a second I don't know uh two star and the dream police man <laughs> oh man that's dumb dumb shit so this is just some okay it's it's a J Paul ripoff I mean that that's all it is like. Nothing has been more immediately obvious upon turning something on that something is just a complete rip-off of another person's sound than this is. Um, but I see it getting a lot of, you know, you know, hype and people are loving it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why? Well, the reason why is because it's a white person doing it, you know? Um, which makes it easier for white people to, to digest. But... This kind of, like, you know, murky production, you know, blue-eyed soul R&B kind of thing is is just so overdone. And I just know it's going to be the soundtrack to the most overpriced coffee shops all over North America. And this guy is going to get really popular by obviously mining and mimicking a sound of someone who is a true original um, I don't know. It This shit just sucks, and everyone's gonna eat it up. And it's really annoying, because Jay Paul should have gotten the fame and popularity that this guy did. Except, you know, he kind of refused to release music, and then, you know, his album got leaked. And that whole thing was a shit show and disaster. Um, and now this, this fucking loser is gonna just make basically the exact same music and get lots of fame from it and i hate that so yeah um this album sucks 
uh, everyone's gonna love it, um, you know, this is like, just, like, basic people are gonna think this is the most groundbreaking shit, and, I don't know, it's frustrating and annoying, because, you know, actual innovative artists are out there, and no one knows or cares about them, but all of a sudden, you get a white guy doing it, and all of a sudden, everyone eats that shit up. Tale as old as time. So, dishonorable mention is, uh, MKG, uh, not to be confused with MGK, although they kind of do a similar kind of thing if you really think about it. And, uh, I don't know, two star on the dumb police or whatever the fuck. Uh, whatever. Anyway, those are the mentions. He's Quick concert on. recap. So, I saw this month, beginning of the month, uh, I saw Meth. Uh, Def Club and uh, well I did stick around for Terry Green but uh, that show is great again I've already talked about Meth and the fact that they got an encore like people begged them to play one more song despite again being the second band on a four band bill um, they're just that special if you ever see Meth you gotta go check them out Def Club is uh, one of Justin Pearson's latest bands um, Justin Pearson, for those of you who don't know, uh, founded The Locust, uh, founded 31G Records, and, uh, is an absolute legend of, kind of, noise punk, and that kind of, uh, almost like queer core scene from back in the early to mid-2000s. Uh, you know, he's older now, but he's still making amazing, kind of, great, high-speed music with Def Club and they killed their life they, they killed their live show and it was interesting because you know this was a screamo show they're not a screamo band at all and I was worried about how it kind of go down like is the crowd gonna be into this or are they not gonna be into this but they put on such a sh sick show and he's just such a charismatic guy that uh you know after a few songs everyone was into it and having a great time and uh I just, I just have so much respect for this guy, you know, he's been on the scene for like 25 years now, he's got to be in his mid to late 40s, going up to, you know, 50s, but he was there working the merch booth at the fucking Baby G, this shitty little small club where they're playing the whole time, and just like, dude, you're a fucking, you are punk, like, you are a DIY legend, um, and just, so thank you, Justin Pearson, I had a really, uh, you know, I'm hoping charmingly embarrassing conversation with him where I talked about, uh, you know, spending like hundreds of dollars that I uh, wasn't supposed to on his uh, labels discography. And yeah, great show. Uh, they put on a great show, great album. They have a new one coming out. But seriously, if you get a chance to go see Meth, you must go see them. Uh, I also saw Noel and Thantafaxith with uh, my my boy Bob. Bobby? Bobby! Uh, another great show. Noel just making some of the most nasty music possible. Uh, great record from January that I got a chance to see live. And they absolutely killed it. Was basically exactly how it sounded on record. Um, but for me, the highlight was definitely Thantafaxith. Uh, you know, I was a fan ever since High My Narcosis came out last year. Uh, did a deeper dive in their music when that album dropped, and 
the funniest thing. So the whole thing is that they're like anonymous or whatever. So when it was their turn to go on stage, um, you know, these three guys kind of went out and started, you know, doing sound check, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, the whole idea being like, okay, you know, they're anonymous, they're hooded or whatever. So these guys must just be, you know, the, the sound check guys, the guys who prep everything for the band themselves. So they went and they actually played through an honest to God, faithful cover of a waterfall by TLC, basically from start to finish. Um, so that was great. And then after they finished that, they were like, okay, we need a minute. Uh, they basically reached down, grabbed some hoods, put them on, and then started their set as Thantafaxith. Really funny stuff, you know? Uh, but amazing set. They absolutely killed it. Uh, it's one of those bands where you listen to music and you're like, there's no way they can pull this off live. Like, these guitar parts are just insane and, like, don't even make any sense. But they absolutely did. And uh, amazing. I can't wait to go see them again at Prepare the Ground Fest later this year. And the last show that I saw was uh, Military Gun again. Um... They were playing with Pool Kids and Spiritual Cramp. And I gotta say, uh, Spiritual Cramp, like the album, amazing live show. They absolutely killed it, uh, made a lot of new fans that night. Um, it's fun music, and the live show was even more fun than the album is. Uh, had a great time, the frontman really knows how to work a crowd. Uh, and again, great show. Highly recommend seeing if you get a chance. But of course, the highlight of the night was Military Gun. Um, last time I saw them, again, they were the second uh, headlining act with Scowl being, you know, the, the first headliner. Um, so just getting to see them as the full, you know, no holds barred headlining act was, was amazing. They, they killed it. They played like 20 songs. Um... It was just amazing. I, uh, I I got my notch, my watch knocked off and uh, destroyed, which is something that kind of just keeps happening to me apparently. Uh, I got the set list afterwards. Uh, amazing show, amazing time. Uh, these guys are the best. You know, it was my favorite record of last year, and just getting to see them again uh, was really felt like a, a victory lap for my love and appreciation for them. Good shows. Uh, I have a few more coming up this month, and I will talk about them next episode. Anyway, let's get back to the albums. Okay. Uh, yeah. Number two, we have Callie, or is it Kaylee Malone? This is weird. I had this exact same question last month, didn't I? With Kelly Uchis. Wow, it's like Cali year. Happy Cali year, everybody. Wow, you're the Cali. Uh, with all life long. So, she's a fascinating artist who creates, uh, we'll call it drone music, but she does it in an almost uh, kind of neoclassical way. So, this record itself, um, it's almost like, and th this is gonna sound worse than how I mean it, but like this is an album that almost sounds like a 
like a music project, a music assignment than an actual album. Like it sounds like someone who is doing like a doctorate in um, holy music, maybe, for example, would make an album like this. Uh, essentially, she's written a f like a few of these drone pieces and on this record you get kind of different variations of those. Uh, you kind of get vocal versions. You get, um, in some cases, kind of more uh, brass-based versions of these songs, and then finally, uh, organ-based versions of these songs. And the record kind of goes through different iterations of how these pieces that she's put together can be presented. And again, it, it, this sounds like a almost like a, a tedious like an, an exercise more than an actual you know record new album of music but she she's really well the pieces themselves are are really weirdly emotional they, they're they're pretty simple you know it, it's 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 effectively drone music which um you know doesn't do too much and that's kind of the idea you you stick with fairly basic chords and chord progressions. Um, but the way that she's presented these different pieces in, in these different formats uh, really gets you kind of a granular look of the, the textures that each of these different um, you know, formats bring to the table. You know, the, the, the vocal, you know, choral versions of these pieces, you know, put next to the the organ versions of the pieces you really see how you know the instruments whether the instrument is the voice or the organ or you know the, the saxophones or whatever they are on the more orchestral versions how they shape sound and how that that sound that's being shaped fills a room in in different ways um the album almost feels like a an ode to spiritual music and holiness. Uh, not like holiness, like godliness, but just this idea of, of, of being in a, you know, in a church or, or a, a cathedral and uh, be that, that feeling of music that, that's connecting to something more than you or a, a higher being or like a higher, you know, source of consciousness. Um, the, it's just soothing in a way that makes you feel safe, is how I would put it. It's, it's hard to describe. Um, so she's on Ideological Organs, which is the record label run by Stephen O'Malley. Uh, Stephen O'Malley of, of Sun fame. Uh, Sun O to those who think that that's how you're supposed to say their name. And it's strange. It's like, what is this woman who, you know, makes these kind of neoclassical drone pieces have in common with, you know, the guy who basically invented, you know, horrifying, ear-splitting um, drone metal. But, I mean, it's right there in the name. They both have this kind of sense and proclivity towards you know the exploration of what big sound can can actually do in a physical space um 
And that's what this record really feels like it's all about. Like, sure, you can listen to it on your headphones and still enjoy it, but it's really meant to just be played loudly in a room and just feeling how the room changes with the music. And the way that drone works is every single chord progression, every single change of note is, is significant and a big deal, uh, which is why, you know, you have these long droning passages. So the whole purpose of it is to really steep you in that moment and, and steep you in the feeling that each kind of, you know, chord gives you. Like, like, What's, what, what, what is the significance of this progression? What is the significance of, you know, this sound and the way that that sound shifts and morphs into something different? You know, it's, it's really kind of music as a, as a high art exercise. Uh, and I'm making it sound like really kind of snooty and pretentious in, in art school in a way right now. And in a lot of ways, honestly, it... it it kind of is, but I, I also really don't want to downplay how just kind of surface-level enjoyable it is. Um, like, the way that the chords progress is, is pleasing to the ear. The way that uh, she's kind of sculpted the sound of these different movements, um, it just kind of feels good in, in not quite an ASMR way, but just the way that the, the sound you know, moves on your eardrums and, and, and kind of reverberates through your skin as you're listening to it is, is, is very physically pleasing in a lot of ways. Uh, I had a really busy, crazy February with work. And in the same way that I kind of rely on ambient music as a, a functional tool to kind of just, you know, settle me down, I felt like that record did this record, sorry, did a lot of that for me this month as well. You know, it it's music that if you really want to think about, you can, but you can also just put on and let it let it just like squeeze you, you know, and and, 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 and hug you and make you feel um, connected to something bigger and higher than yourself. Uh, did any of that make sense? I don't know. Probably not. Hey, I told you I was getting really esoteric with this episode, okay? So, you were warned. Anyway, number two for February 2024 is Kaylee Malone. Callie Malone? I don't know. Uh, all Lifelong. And okay... Last, but certainly not least, number one for February 2024, we have... Oh, fuck, how do you even say this word? Okay, uh, bear with me here for a second. Uh, I'm gonna give it my best shot. Sparagmos? Sparagmos? <laughs> yeah, you guys are like, are you fucking kidding me? Your number one most recommended album is something called Sparagmos? That's right, Sparagmos by Spectral Voice. That's right, welcome to PH5. Um, so, Spectral Voice is, I don't necessarily want to say side project, because 
that implies that it's not as important or, you know, good. But sure, let's call it a, a, a side project or offshoot, if you will, of Blood Incantation. Blood Incantation, currently one of the kind of, you know, heavyweights of uh, death metal right now. Um, with their kind of really spacey, progressive take on it. Um, you know, they haven't released an actual full-length metal record since uh, Hidden History of the Human Race, which was way back in, I think, 2018, 2019, something like this. Uh, they had Time Wave Zero, which was a, a full-blown um, synth odyssey uh, from 2020 or 2021. Which was cool, but you know, I like I like I like I like metal. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, um, whereas Blood Incantation kind of is that you know kind of spacey death metal, Spectral Voice is kind of where they're harnessing and uh, their vehicle for making uh, pretty much like blackened doom metal would be the best way to describe it now you know black metal and doom metal being two of my favorite types of metal you know one would think that black and doom would be just you know a perfect genre for me but i actually find that um I'll, in a lot of cases uh the sum is not equal to its parts for this kind of genre um for example, you have a band like uh, Mismore, you know, classic Black and Doom, uh, but it's, it's something just doesn't quite hit. You know, the the blackened isn't blackened enough, and the Doom isn't Doom enough. It's just like this kind of compromise between the two, which which is is it's a hard kind of um, genre to you know consolidate. You know, like black and metal typically defined by blistering pace, you know, blast beats, um, you know, tremella picking, and otherworldly shrieks, and then you have your doom metal, which is all about, you know, glacial pace, and, uh, you know, really kind of low, guttural, whatever. Uh, so yeah, you know, making a genre that is, you know, the whole conceit is combining these two is, is definitely a challenge to do right. Uh, but they've done it here. Spectral Voice has absolutely nailed the Black and Doom sound. And a th big reason why I think they've managed to achieve this is because they've kept in mind the, in my opinion, like the core tenet of metal music. And that is riffs. You know? Like, it really shouldn't matter what type of metal you're making. Um... It all comes down to the riff at the end of the day, you know? You can do a fast riff for thrash, you can do a really kind of discordant riff for, you know, some of the more extreme versions of metal, you can do slower riffs for doom and whatnot, but that's what it comes down to. You need to have good fucking riffs. That's what the songs are really all about and what they should be based on. And Spectral Voice hasn't forgotten this. It's, the riff is very, very important to these guys. And this album is honestly just chock full of fantastic riffs. Um, it reminds me in a lot of ways of uh, Paul Bearer. 
who, you know, have have kind of diminished a little bit over the years, but in their heyday, in the Foundations of Burden era, uh, like, that record is just perfect riff after perfect riff after perfect riff, and that's what makes it such an incredible record, is just every single guitar part is insanely memorable and just awesome, you know? This record is a, a lot kind of spookier and scarier and uh, darker than anything Paul Bear has ever done. But it also has a lot of fantastic riffs throughout that make the whole thing a very um, memorable experience. And whether it's, you know, the slower, almost bell-witchy parts or, you know, when they kind of descend into the chaos of the more black metal parts, uh, they're always very anchored by these really strong um, guitar parts that just bring you along and make sure that every second of this album has something memorable going on for it. Uh, other than the guitar parts, there's a lot of like kind of strange um, things going on sonically, a lot of things that you can't really explain, sounds that don't really make sense. And like when I'm listening to this album, a lot of the time, uh, at least the first few initial listens, like, like I'd be looking around, like, what the hell was that? Like, thinking something, something was in the room with me, but no, it was actually just a strange noise on this album. And again, this just adds to this kind of depth that the record has, keeping it memorable and making it interesting at all points. Uh, again, because it's it can be a hard type of music to maintain and, and have consistently interesting when. You know, you're kind of going back and forth from, you know, discordant chaos to really, really slow, plodding pace. Uh, but this is a band, again, you know, these are the guys from Blood Incantation that we're talking about. You know, they know what they're doing. They know how to craft really good music. And they've shown that they can do that on, you know, this scale as well as that kind of spacey death metal scale. So, again, you know, just kind of capping off an extremely, uh, you know, again, I keep going back to the word esoteric, but an extremely esoteric February uh, with my number one suggested album being a Blackened Doom side project from a death metal band. But you know what? That's just how shit shapes out sometimes. So... Number one for February 2024 is Sparagmos by Spectral Voice. Anyway, uh, if you've somehow managed to stay tuned in, I really appreciate you sticking around. Um, hopefully next month we'll have some things that will appeal to more than literally just me. Uh, but, you know, no promises. It's all about integrity. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend to like or be interested in something just so I can get more listeners onto my show, because that's not really why I'm doing this. Uh, I'm doing this just to kind of talk to myself about the things that I like, uh, and hopefully other people like it too, or at least like hearing the dumb things that I have to say about them. Thanks again. This is Phil May checking off for PH5. 
Uh, we'll chat in a month.